Head over to Hulu this March, where our new shows and movies will keep you streaming all month long. Catch the award-winning movie, Poor Things, starring Emma Stone, Mark Ruffalo, and Willem Dafoe. Check out the new documentary, Freaknik, The Wildest Party Never Told, about the iconic Atlanta street party. And don't miss FX's Shogun, a reimagining of the epic tale starring Anna Sawai. So, what are you waiting for? Go stream something new on Hulu. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, to get 20, 20, 20, to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello and welcome to another episode of Telling Everybody Everything. It has been a harrowing week for me personally. I spoke last week about my theory that women who are a mess have happier husbands. And this is for a bit, you know, I'm writing a new show. It was just announced yesterday that I will be appearing May 10th in Los Angeles at the Netflix Is a Joke Comedy Festival. And I was there last year, which was a huge mistake for me personally because I was about three months pregnant with Fena and I wasn't feeling well and Fred was only 10 months old so maybe I was like two months I I was sick anyway I forgot my pump Fred got COVID while he was here in London with my mom Bobby and I only went for the weekend and a weekend in LA I mean a weekend in New York you can do a weekend in LA is just too far we were jet lagged the whole time we couldn't sleep we stayed late at a Pete Davidson and Friends comedy show which is basically just like a who's who of who, um, drug addicts seemingly. I mean, I don't, I don't, no disrespect to these people, but if you want to do comedy, I think you have to focus and take it quite seriously and not smoke cannabis for at least an hour of the day, be clean and clear. But in LA, I feel like it's just the thing to be like, Hey man, what's up? I'm high. How are you? Oh, this fucking show. Like there's almost a, the style of unpreparedness is weird. But anyway, I, I enjoyed some people on that lineup. I did not enjoy most. And then we were told Kim Kardashian was coming out at the end. We waited around. It was Machine Gun Kelly, which is like the worst thing that could happen. It's the worst bait and switch that you could pull on TV's Catherine Ryan. Kim K was there, but she remained backstage. So some agents got to see her. They popped back to say hi to Pete, and I I didn't. And that was sad. So we're going to try and do it all again. And this time, not be pregnant. Not be pregnant. And all the kids are older now. Fred is two and a half this Christmas. Fena turns one tomorrow. They have each other. They have Violet. They're very comfortable with Miriam. We had only just started having Miriam, the nanny, um, when we went to L.A. that time. So we didn't leave Fred with her. But I mean, listen, it's going to be different this time. I'm writing a brand new show. I'm so excited if you can make it to L.A. Um, Although don't go all the way there if it's too far for you. I mean, it's a great festival. Wherever you are in Canada or America and you're saying, oh, Catherine, come do a gig here. I just can't, but I will be in L.A. And then I will be doing a U.K. tour to be announced soon. The working title for my new show is Battle Axe. I've heard the term battle axe all the time. It's just an older, uh, it's a derogatory term for an older woman with opinions, which I guess is what I am. And strong opinions and provocative opinions. And my friend Andrew Johnston, who has started sending me 
a few curated topics for this podcast, actually, if you enjoyed last week's. Andrew's helping me out because he lives in the world of pop culture and he's a very talented comedian and he's very good at putting clips of his topical stand-up, I mean, his turnaround is fast, on his Instagram. So his name is Andrew Johnston with a T. He's my longtime friend. He opened for my tour in the UK a while ago. We've worked together in Canada and um, he suggested Battle Axe and he also suggested my show title Nature's Candy way back then. He's just got... He's got it. He's always fun. He's a great mentor. He's a great uh, friend to have, and he makes really funny suggestions. And he is a member of the LGBTQAI plus community, and that's my favorite community. So I listen to everything he says. I had a bad week, though. Um, so in line with my theory that if your husband can't rise to your level, you should lower yourself to his, and then he's not comparing himself to like an unattainable princess, which is what I believe every mom is. This is no shade on my actual husband. I just feel like who wants to be married to someone who's like a perfect little princess and always doing everything right and martyring herself? That would annoy me. And I think that I'm exploring this theory, should you shake things up? And so Bobby and I went on a date Wednesday night and I thought I was so smart. I asked Miriam to come Wednesday night and look after the children. And then I also asked her to come Monday morning, or uh, sorry, Thursday morning from 7 a.m. to 2 p.m. I thought, I'm going to treat myself. I'm going to go to the Christmas markets. I'm going to stay out a little bit late, have a drink, have some dinner, have a little walk around London. It's going to be the best. And then I will be up with the kids if they're up before 7, which let's be honest, Fena almost always is. But I can just play for a bit. Miriam will arrive. I'll go back to bed. It's going to be ideal. Then I'll wake up refreshed, drive Fred to nursery. He goes two mornings a week to nursery for just a few hours. He makes brief cameos there. Come back, wrap some Christmas presents. I have my whole morning planned out, and I was going to have this amazing date with my husband. And I was going to let loose a little bit, be naughty, be the hypotheses of uh, the hypothetical wife that I think men want. So <laughs> I had... Uh, we got to the Christmas markets and it was fine. I had a lovely mulled cider. That's my favorite drink. I love a hot apple cider. Alcohol or no alcohol. I don't mind. I like the cinnamon. I love apple juice. Anyway, I love walking around a Christmas market with a hot drink. And this is something that we can't do with the babies. I see people specifically, I feel like people of from Arab countries, like the UAE, they have babies out late at night. I feel like it's very much in their culture to wake up late, I think, because of the heat maybe and have babies out late at night. Some of my friends have told me this, but I see their babies out at night and they're behaving and they're in buggies and they're marveling at the lights and they join their parents for a civilized dinner. My babies aren't like that. I want to go to a Christmas market. I can't even bring Violet because she'll piss and moan and be like, where's it Starbucks? I don't want to walk anymore. I'm going home. And I love her, but that's not her scene. So fine, Bobby and I will do it alone. I had my hot apple cider. Everything was going well. And then I thought, I think I'm going to have a vodka and Diet Coke next. And I had a lovely Polish sausage. And we went to Christmas by the River, which is the South Bank Christmas market. Then I saw my friend Anthony, who produces Live at the Apollo. Then I saw this lovely girl, Ellie, who was in a Joe Lysett's Got Your Back episode with me. It's like, it's amazing that you can go out in a city as big as London and see people that you know. And that was really fun for me. And then for some crazy reason... They have a, a really cool heated outdoor bar at this Christmas by the river. I really recommend that you go. It wasn't as busy as I thought it was going to be, but maybe that's because it was Wednesday night. 
we got to this indoor thing and, and they had Christmas decorations and they had faux fur and um, plaid lumberjack print over the benches and stuff. And I just really got in the spirit of things. And I said to Bobby, we should have fireball whiskey. Why would I say that? Why would a 40-year-old mother of three turn to her husband and say, we should have fireball whiskey? Why? Because I'm trying to be a bit of a mess. And so he thought, oh, okay. You know, Bobby's very amenable. He doesn't really know what's going on with my new show and all these different experiments that I'm doing in our marriage. <laughs> he's like, he's like, I'm very happy. Like, I don't understand why you're doing this. But I just feel like it's my job to do this research for the wider community and find out once and for all how to be the best wife, what men want, how to have a happy, long-lasting marriage. And at the end of this experiment, maybe I'll come out and tell you, whoa, I was wrong. But he looked at me and he went, all right, okay, let's have fireball whiskey. And he drank his all in one, a little ounce of it. But of course, I was sipping mine, sort of like a after dinner brandy, because I can't take a shot of anything. And I don't know why I thought, oh, if you sip it more slowly, it's not the same. as It's still having a shot. It's just having a shot over the course of 10 minutes versus having a shot all in one. And then we left and we decided to go to Skylon, which is this rooftop bar sort of over Royal Festival Hall. There's a beautiful view. It's Christmas decorated. I've only been there a couple of times, but I thought, yeah, we'll just pop in there for a drink. Like the world is our oyster. It's very seldom that Bobby and I are just out at night and we can walk. I mean, walking in London and not having a plan and just popping into bars is my absolute favorite thing to do. So we get there and there are two hostesses who were clearly busy because it's the holidays and it's a very popular restaurant. And I said, oh, we don't have a reservation. And I just felt an extra layer of disdain from this girl where she was like, oh, well, you have to have a booking or you can't come in. And I said, oh, there's no room at the bar. She goes, no, it's only bookings for the bar. It was just a flat out like, no, which I didn't appreciate because I've been a hostess before. I've been a server before. I definitely understand that the bar is really busy. But you look at the bar and you go, oh, I don't know. You know, it's quite busy at the bar right now. It'll be maybe 20 minutes. It'll be, I don't know. You can wait if you like. I can take your name, you know, at least with a smile. There was none of that. It was just like booking or you're out. And I looked and it wasn't that busy. And I thought, something's not right here. So I went into the stairwell as though we were going to leave. And because I'd had a drink, to prove a point to my husband, like almost as an inside joke for the family, I was like, no, no, no. I can find my way around this. Like I, I find it very difficult just to be told no, and I would never stomp around and be like, I'm on te television sometimes. Blah, blah. It's not that. It's just like, well, let's find a creative solution. I've always been that way. Ever since I was like seven years old, I, I think it's a great way to be. It's probably one of the things that's made me successful in my life. But if I see a creative solution, I, I want to investigate it. So I looked on my phone and I went, I clicked on the restaurant and they do bookings through OpenTable, which is an, an app for restaurant bookings that I've used before. And they didn't have any bookings in the restaurant. That was true. But 10 minutes from the time that it was, there was um, availability at the bar for a bar booking. So I booked a table for two at the bar for 10 minutes time. And we waited in the stairwell. And then I went back to the hostess stand and I said, hey, I have a booking. And then she was pissed. She sort of rolled her eyes. She's like, you have a booking? I said, yeah, I made a booking in the stairwell for the bar. And she's like, oh, well, our booking system's messed up right now because we have a private party. And look. Let me be clear when I tell you, these people are overworked, under tipped. Like one thing about us, 
working in the service industry in North America is that we were handsomely remunerated. And so we had a smile on our face and customer service is a different thing in North America. And I think that we should be tipping these people more. I always tip, but the rest of you British people, I don't know what your problem is. You either don't tip, some of you will tip a bit. Some of you tip $1, no matter what the bill is. They'll be like, $1 is what you'll get. It's really weird. Pound, one pound. And uh, the girl was like, well, and credit to her, I actually like her reaction. She was like, well, it's messed up right now, the booking system, whatever, but you have a booking, fine. And then she goes, come with me. And so I followed her. And then this chick became my absolute hero. My absolute hero. I've never respected someone more. She sat us at two bar tables under the Christmas tree. And when I say under the Christmas tree, I had my head like in the pines, like a fucking partridge. I was in side of the Christmas tree. And Bobby was also in the Christmas tree on the other side of the Christmas tree, like surrounded in baubles. So the corner of the bar had a big Christmas tree on top of it. And we were sat on both ends of the corner of the bar. So this Christmas tree, <laughs> like it was the most ridiculous seating ever, but I didn't care. So everyone was a winner. She felt vindicated because she was like, here you go then. I told you we don't have availability here. Sit under the tree. And I was happy because it was just a really festive place to sit. I liked it. Some people sitting around us had a good laugh about it. We made some friends. We got to order drinks and I got to like have such a unique Christmas experience where I had a drink like in, <laughs> I was like a Christmas present. I can't stress this enough. I felt like Santa himself rummaging through the ornaments to find Bobby's face, we had a drink inside a tree. I mean, what a unique life experience that was. And I loved it. I had a cranberry martini, which I felt was festive. I love the idea of festive cocktails. That's the trouble with me this holiday season is I love the idea of them, but I, in practice, like, I don't think I like them. I think they're too sweet. Who, I mean, who told me that I could handle fireball whiskey? I couldn't. So at this point, I've had four drinks, which is too, too many for TV's Catherine Ryan. And I got a little bit tipsy. We finished our drinks. We made friends with two ladies. Bobby nearly forgot my bag. And then a lady gave it to him. You know, it was all cooperation and community at Skylon. Delicious drinks. Amazing experience if you can go. And um, I, I have to apologize to the hostesses because they, I think they knew that I was taking the piss a bit, but I wasn't doing it to make fun of them in any way. Or I just, it was an inside joke with me and Bobby. Like the inside joke in our marriage is I can leapfrog over any hurdle I have to find a way or I'm not happy and so we did it and Bobby's just like oh here I am again sitting within a Christmas tree because my wife has this personality fine so we left and then we got on the tube and we went to my favorite restaurant in London La Bodega Negra and it is right near I think it's between Leicester Square and Tottenham Court Road they have a cafe where you don't need a booking and they also have an underground like beautiful dark restaurant that sometimes has DJs and it's just uh, they have the best tacos in the world. You enter the restaurant through a sex shop though. And so we went that way and uh, there were loads of people in the little waiting area. So I knew we were toasted. And he said, do you have a booking? I said, maybe. He said, do you have a booking or not? I said, no. And he said, all right, we'll go try the cafe. So I was like, oh man, because I really wanted these tacos. So then we went up to the cafe, which was occupied by a private party. So we couldn't have tacos there either. And I'm reasonable. So even though I manipulated the Skylon situation to get us a seat under the Christmas tree, I could see that I was beaten here and there was just no way that I was having tacos at La Bodega Negra. So I didn't even try. Bobby and I 
were not deterred. We walked through Soho, which again was amazing for me because that's my favorite thing to do to walk in London. I got to see Christmas lights and loads more revelers, like having fun in Soho, even on a Wednesday night. People are in the streets drinking. That's what I love about this city. And a walk should have been good for me. Like by now, I've made it from Waterloo to Leicester Square, had a walk around, been denied at La Bodega Negra, had another walk around through Soho, and we went to Sucre, which is nearer to like Carnaby Street, Oxford Circus area. And that's a restaurant that I like as well. I think it's Argentinian. I just like the vibe in there. If you can go there for a drink, please go. Have food there if you want. It's just a really nice atmosphere. And I'm all about atmosphere. We went there. I had one white wine and loads more food. We had olives. We had these like empanadas. We had loads of different things. I had this salad. So I'm eating and drinking. But So now the whole night, I've had five total drinks and water, and a walk, and loads of food. There are a lot of people having five drinks at lunch. There are a lot of people like binge drinking. I mean, five drinks technically is binge drinking, but I thought it was so spread out, and I was trying to be festive, and I was trying to be a bit, you know, of a renegade, so that's what I did. We left Sucre at 9.30, because we had Miriam till 11. I wanted to get home in good time, 10.30, sort of. I got into bed as soon as I was home, and I slept with the children all night. They were up a couple of times, nothing major. I did sleep in my jeans and my makeup. That's unusual for me, but it was fine. I woke up in the morning. I felt good. Bobby was worried about me. He said, babe, you are not someone who can have five drinks. How are you? I said, fine. I played with the children for a bit. Miriam arrived at seven and I went back to bed, but it didn't feel great going back to bed. I sort of started to feel worse as the morning went on and I couldn't sleep. My mind was racing. I needed to make a big payment for some mortgage stuff that morning. Of course, I had the podcast that I meant to do yesterday. I had things running through my head so I couldn't nap. And before I knew it, it was time to take Fred to nursery. So I got him dressed, made his lunch, got him in the car, drove all the way there, on the way back. Thank God it was on the way back, not on the way to, because I would have had to face Miss Karen at the door. I started to feel sick. Now, I get car sick anyway. I feel nauseous almost a third of my life. Like ever since I started getting pregnant with these babies, nausea comes out of nowhere for me. Like anything can make me feel sick. If I eat too little, I feel sick. If I eat too much, if I look at my phone in a cab, it's a wrap. If uh, I'm driving, sometimes even I feel car sick. It's if the windshield wipers are going, like there are weird elements that will just make me feel sick. But let's not forget I had five drinks the night before, which is way too many for me. So I'm driving and I'm thinking, I'm thinking to myself, hmm, should I pull over and ask to use the restroom in a cafe? Maybe I should throw up. I mean, maybe I should go into a shop and just ask for a bag. I turn out down the radio. I think maybe silence is what I need. I take a few deep breaths. I'm like, okay, this will pass. I start sort of looking around the car. Hmm, is there anything here that I can use to throw up into? And that really is a pattern for me. There's always a bit of a quiet warning when I'm going to be sick. And then all of a sudden, just like when you need to pee, your body knows when you're closest to home. You put your key in the door sometimes and you'll pee your pants. Just as I arrived almost down my street, I started turning the corner where I knew I was nearly home. I just started throwing up, throwing up and throwing up like loads, actually. Like, I don't understand what your stomach does all night not to have digested any of the Christmas food I had eaten the night before. Aren't you supposed to digest food in the night? 
Like it didn't make sense to me how much I was able to throw up. And I grabbed my jumper at the waistline and I held it up, like trying to make a little parachute to catch all of the puke, but it just rolled down the sides. Like it pooled in the middle, rolled down the sides. It went into the seatbelt mechanism. It went down to the side of the dash. It went like absolutely everywhere. And I just kept driving. I didn't even slow down. I had two hands on the wheel. Again, I gave up on the shirt. I was just driving, driving and throwing up. I'm throwing up a bit more. And I started thinking, what are other drivers? Like, what if they look in the window? (laughs) I don't think I've ever in my life seen someone driving like at normal speed. I don't even know. Like the police could come knocking on my door for divulging this. I don't know if it's even legal. And no, I wasn't still over the limit because it had been a full 12 hours since I'd had my last drink. I would never drive over the limit at all. And I know they say that the next morning you still might be a little bit drunk, but it was 12 hours, so it was fine. I didn't feel drunk at all. I just started throwing up. Oh, and then I told Bobby when I got home, well, I got out of the car, first of all, a pile of puke landed on the driveway. He'll be pissed about that. He's still power washing it, even in this weather. My entire clothes were soaked. I took them straight off, so I'm in my underwear in the driveway. I carry my clothes in in one hand. I pop them in the wash. It was awful. And I said to Bobby, I threw up. He said, you threw up while driving? I said, yeah. He said, you didn't pull over? I said, no. No, I was in a rush to get home. Like, I couldn't pull over anywhere, really. And he was like, I've never in my life heard of someone. I've heard of people pulling over and being sick. I have never heard of someone just continuing to drive and be sick on themselves over and over while driving. And I said to him, listen, I'm a very special lady. You are married to a high-performance woman. I am an overachiever. And so I guess I'm back. My experiment of being a bit of a mess failed miserably. It's not who I am. I'm not the kind of woman who gets a babysitter for the evening and a babysitter for the morning and goes to Christmas markets and drinks fireball whiskey and has a laugh and is like a little bit unpredictable, sexy, messy wife. No, I am a professional who can throw up while driving 40 miles an hour and not even blink. I was still safe. I was still signaling, checking my rear view. I was, I was, that's who I am. But it was awful because I wasted the whole day. And I do, I'm not trying to glorify binge drinking in any way. I think it's actually so stupid. And I wasted my whole day. I had so many things to do yesterday. And I didn't get to half of them. And that pissed me off. So there you go. I think it's best to get it out of the way. December 14th, have a bit of a messy Christmas 13th. And then you don't do it again. So now I've learned my lesson. So the rest of Christmas... I will make the festive cocktails. I will make them. I will mix them together and look at how beautiful they are and try to serve them to other people. But it's just not for me. It's my new life. One and done. One drink and that's it. Catherine, stop trying to be someone that you're not. Shockingly, I was even more humiliated a couple days before that whilst completely sober. I mean, it's two unbelievable stories this week. This is, I don't even know how I'm going to tell it. I feel like I need to be in front of you in person acting this out. I've been trying to do things for myself. I had meetings in London. And after my meetings, I said, I'm going to go to a lovely nail salon and get a manicure and pedicure in London. Take that time out for myself. Get my nails done before Christmas. I usually go to our local one where I live, but I thought I'm in central London. Let's explore a new nail salon. That'll be fun. I bet they're really posh in London. Let's do it. So I found one near Kevin Garden. And I had a busy day. I ticked all these things off the list. I'd done my meetings. I walked in. 
I said, do you have availability for manicure pedicure? They said, we do. I said, great. And then they took me to the basement and it was a beautiful uh, salon that had flowers all over the ceiling and it was just a really lovely experience. And they had those pedicure seats that you go upstairs and you sit almost on a throne. And then you put your feet down in the basin and the lovely uh, foot specialist, <laughs> nail salon lady, um, sits on a stool at the floor. So in my salon, there's a chair, but there aren't steps. I mean, there's one step to get up to our chair, but this is different. Like the ladies who go to nail salons, you know what I mean. When there's like four stairs and you're sat up on a throne, that's what this was. And then just before I walked up, I realized, oh no, I have a really short black dress on and tights. I said, oh, actually, oh no, uh, I can't get a pedicure today. I forgot I'm wearing tights. And they're quite bullyish when you get in there. They're like, no, no, just take your tights off. I said, oh no, I kind of don't feel comfortable. My skirt's really short. I don't want to take my... She's like, no, it's fine. It's fine. It'll be quick. Take your tights off. Aren't you glad I'm not doing the nail shop accent? You're worried for a minute. Like, oh, Catherine, are you going to do the nail salon lady accent? No, I'm not. I'm going to use my own accent because I'm growing and I'm learning. She said, just take your tights off. It'll be quick. Go in there. Go in there. Take your tights off. Like almost shoved me into the loo to be like, don't be ridiculous. What she didn't know is that I hadn't worn underwear that day because they were, they were very thick denier tights that I got from my mom. They're really like suck you in and oh, they just feel warm at Christmas. But I just didn't want to wear underwear with them because they're really comfortable. And so I thought, oh, what am I going to do? I can't explain to this lady that I don't have underwear on, but I'm really worried that if I take my tights off in this short black dress, climbing up those steps, there's going to be a problem. Like people are going to see my ass. But now I'm being polite. I'm being British. Like I just took the tights off and I held the skirt down between my legs in a very clenched fist to be like, okay, Catherine, you can do this. You're going to hold this skirt tight climb up the steps quickly, one hand behind your bum, one hand holding the skirt at your crotch, and then you're gonna spin around, sit down. I mean, the skirt was so short that I was worried my bare ass was gonna be on the seat when I sat down. But I had a coat, and I thought, lay the coat over your legs, clench, you're gonna be fine. So I came out, and already, like before I even climbed up the steps, I felt a breeze around my ass. I knew it was too short of a dress to be doing what I was about to be doing, but I had been bullied. And the woman wanted to do a pedicure, so I thought, fine. So I grabbed the skirt and I sort of hustled myself up the steps as quickly as I could with my knees squeezed together. And we talk about a thigh gap, ladies, and it's this really toxic expectation that a woman should be so thin that her thighs don't touch. And you look at models and they have this thigh gap. And I think about five years ago, we really started talking a lot about the thigh gap and it hasn't come up anymore, thankfully, because we live in a world that is more body positive. But currently, due to the amount of weight that I've lost, I do have a thigh gap. And I wished more than ever that it wasn't there. I thought, Catherine, get some meat on your thighs so that you can hide your vag from the innocent ladies at this nail salon. And so the whole time I, I get up there and I pull my skirt down behind me so that I'm not sitting bare ass directly on the chair. And I pull it down and that's successful. And I've got it between my legs and I squeeze my knees together and I put my coat over my lap immediately. And then she also gives me a pillow that I put over that. And now I'm sitting in the chair and I've made it. My feet are in the water. It's all going well. But as she starts doing the pedicure, of course, anyone who's had a pedicure knows she's manipulating my feet. She's lifting them up. She's like sanding them down. She's like rubbing them with this exfoliant gel. She's moving my legs around. And all the while I'm clenching my knees together. Like I'm so stiff. And she's probably thinking, what is this woman's problem? But I was like, please, please put my leg down. Like don't, you don't understand what you're doing. My vag could slip out at any moment here. And so it was the most stressful pedicure of my life. 
because I went there to relax. I went there to get a manicure, pedicure sort of away from my neighborhood so that I could feel like I was out in London. It was a very, very efficient salon as well because another lady did my nails whilst I was in this pedicure chair and you don't always get that. Sometimes they do the pedicure first, then you have to go sit down and do your nails. So I was glad for that. There was gonna be very little moving around. I had my spot. As long as I could keep it together, I was gonna be okay. And I made it to the end, one hour of panic and clenching, I made it to the end of the pedicure and nobody had seen my badge. And then I went to get down and I knew this was gonna be a challenge as well. So I held my hand behind my bum and my other hand clenched the dress, grabbing the back and the front, holding it together at my crotch. And I went to descend the stairs with my knees, firmly clenched together. And what I hadn't realized is that since the pedicure, um, my feet were of course covered in oil. And guys, I fucking slipped. I slipped and I fell, legs akimbo, down four steps with my arm landing in the bucket of water. Hell, hell. And they scrambled to help me, but that made it even worse. I was like, just please back away from, and I grabbed my skirt and I got myself together, but then I had to get up off the floor. Like I, everybody saw everything, everything. More than I ever imagined anyone would have seen. It was a nightmare scenario. So I paid and I left. And to be honest with you, she drew a little bow on my ring finger of each nail and the bow is jacked up. It is not at all like the example I gave her. All that just to ruin my damn day. To be very honest though, I thought of you. I thought, well, I'm genuinely on the floor with my legs apart <laughs> thinking, well, at least I'll have something to tell on the podcast that isn't just about my kids not sleeping. I got actually excited for a minute about that. And what's wonderful when embarrassing things happen to you, and this is true with stand-up, people go, oh, stand-up's really scary. It's like, even if it goes awful, you're still alive and you're still okay and nobody was really seriously hurt. Like, even if your oily pedicure feet slip your naked ass down four stairs in a packed salon and everyone sees your vagina, mm, you know, there are a lot of people who have worse days. So I can't complain, I guess. Oh, Cardi B is someone I haven't spoken about in a while. She came onto the scene, well, she's been around for a long time, but she came into my periphery and immediately graduated to my direct line of vision, sort of 2015. She was in Love and Hip Hop, and then her album just went multi-multi-platinum, and I started loving her. I love everything that she represented. I love that she is an instigator, and she's like the bad girl of hip hop that people said wouldn't make it. She's an underdog and then she did make it. I thought her lyrics were funny. There was like an L Eminem element to some of her lyrics really made me laugh. They felt really powerful. They felt really sexy. But in her personal life with her husband Offset, she had really tolerated, I think, too much for any woman, not least a talented millionaire, successful celebrity mother of two. So Cardi B and Offset had a tumultuous relationship since 2017. Uh, there were allegations of him cheating. She called it quits for a while in 2018, and then she filed for divorce in 2020, but ultimately they chose to stay together each time. Some of these uh, alleged affairs um, inspired amazing music from her. When she announced her pregnancy with Culture, she was on SNL in this tight white dress singing Be Careful which is like, be careful with me, um, all about his cheating and everything, and that 
he better be careful. And I think it's very interesting in the hip hop community from what I've seen specifically, and certainly in other communities, but I've only seen documentaries about this in hip hop, is the the attitude toward like video hoes, what we used to call them, video hoes, and a woman like Kareen Steffens will publicly say like, yeah, these wives look for their husbands, they'll ring me up, they know that I'm in the picture, they don't really care. The vibe is like, do what you want when you're on the road, but don't embarrass me. And the men, they have sex that is supposedly meaningless. Like even when Kevin Hart was extorted by someone from his own team for having sex on the road, there was a video of it. He came out, he got ahead of the extortion and he confessed to his wife and he confessed to the world. And he was like, yeah. So, and I, I classify Kevin Hart as like a hip hop character because his show is very hip hop. He comes out with like the flames and the music. He's a performer, kind of like Snoop Dogg is a performer. He does it that way. It's like, how? How do people separate love and sex so much? They'll be like, oh no, I just banged her on the road, but you're my wife. I love you. Like, I don't really understand why you're so upset. It's so strange. And so Offset, I think, has just continued to do this. Now, they live a life, the both of them, that's full of temptation, Cardi B, I think, has has openly said she's bisexual. They're out in strip clubs all the time. I mean, I feel like that's cheating. There are so many online videos where they'll be like together in a strip club, throwing money, uh, and there'll be strippers who are exotic dancers, rather, who are like fully naked, twerking in someone's face. I don't know really what the parameters of their relationship is, how open it is, if they have threesomes. Like they haven't publicly declared any of that. But what we know to be true is Cardi B's feelings continue to get hurt again and again and again. And so she went on Instagram Live just the other day and she said, I don't know if you have realized this from my posts or my music or what I've been sharing about my life, but I've been single, quote, for a minute now. And she wants a fresh start for 2024. They were married five years. They have two beautiful children, Culture and Wave, her son. And I think she's just had enough. And I think it's such a shame. Like, why? (sighs) Offset has pissed me off for a long time. (laughs) And it's interesting that Cardi B publicly has such a strong persona where she's like, I'll fuck you up. Like, this is not what you should be doing. I'll do this. I'll do that. I'm a strong woman. I'm this... Um, what are the words in, be careful, gave you, TLC, you want a creeping shit, poured out my whole heart to a piece of shit. See, I remember these word lyrics from a long time. Do you though, trust me man, it's cool though, said that you was chilling but you're out here chasing culo and puntas, chilling poolside, living two lives, I could have did what you did to me to you a few times, but if I did decide to slide, find somebody, fuck him and suck his dick, you would have been pissed, but that's not my MO, I'm not that type of bitch, and karma for you is gonna be who you end up with, you make me sick man, I mean I remember that song, so she'll say, she'll put that into her art, And then I think it takes a while for your real life to catch up. And I just feel happy for her. I feel like Cardi B has been a shadow of herself for too long. And she has, you know, I think they have nannies. She looks like she's prioritized her work and her stuff. But like, how many times can you break a woman's heart offset? How stupid are you? She don't even know your middle name. Watch her, because she might steal your chain. Don't you want someone who loves you instead? I guess not, though. It's blatant disrespect. You're nothing like the man that I met. Talk to me crazy, and you used to forget. I want that Cardi B back.
I love it. See, different types of relationships work. Like some people find it exciting to be in a really tumultuous marriage where there's infidelity and lies and Offset is like coming back and apologizing with Birkins all the time. Like, I don't know if for a time there was something about her that kept going back to that. Or did she just really love him and go back to him in spite of what she knew was the right answer? Who is Cardi B going to be with next? Is she going to be single for a long time? Or is she going to have romances? Who do we see Cardi B linking up with in the near future? In a world where Timothy Chalamet is dating Kylie Jenner, I feel like absolutely anything goes. Those two would be a mismatch if you asked me, but in light of it, is Harry Styles a mismatch for Cardi B? He has dated older women before. He feels very androgynous now. He is in the music industry. I feel like that could be the perfect person for Cardi B. Harry and Meghan actually haven't had the best time lately. They were dunked on by, who was it? Let me get this up. The Hollywood Reporter. Yeah, The Hollywood Reporter published its list of winners and losers in Hollywood for 2023, with the trade paper reserving some of its most potent vile for Harry and Meghan, citing the top flop of their Netflix doc, book, and Meghan's Spotify podcast. The mag bemoaned that they, quote, fled a life of ceremonial public service to cash in on their celebrity status in the States, but failed to launch. Well, I mean, that was rude and scathing, I feel like, because, I mean, if even Hollywood is turning its back on Meghan and Harry, and The Hollywood Reporter doesn't like me either, but it is, I think, a fairly influential magazine, that could cause a rift in their marriage. Harry could turn to Meghan and be like, wait a minute, you wanted all these things. I came here for you. I was supposed to be liberated from the royal family. We tried to make it in Hollywood, and now I'm getting dunked on by The Hollywood Reporter, I left all my family for this. I mean, hopefully they're strong enough to withstand it and it just rolls off their back because they're happily in love with two beautiful children and they're multimillionaires. But it could, it could, I mean, my prediction for 2024, at least kick off something of a fight. Does Harry have an affair with Cardi B to get it out of the system? I like Megan, but like my two life's main interests meeting like that would just be, it would be too much for me. Here's a list of the 28 most eligible bachelors of 2023. Could Cardi B be with any of these? Um, An entrepreneur who owns a whiskey business called Scott Eastwood. He plays the hunk in Taylor Swift's Wildest Dreams video. I don't think that he's got enough of like chutzpah to keep Cardi B interested. No, she's not up for like dating a rich male model. I don't see Cardi B going the Kris Jenner route of having just a dutiful house husband, a steadman, if you will, just like a professional guy, like quiet, discreet, waiting in the wings. I feel like she needs someone who's going to keep her on her toes a bit. Like this Ofsted, Offset stuff, Ofsted, (laughs) the health and safety rating of her children's nursery. No, the Offset stuff is obviously... Uh, a bridge too far and it's total disrespect and it's not ideal, but there's something about his messiness that kept her interested for a long time. So many, oh, Michael B. Jordan is single again. Michael B. Jordan, of course. He was dating Steve Harvey's daughter, Lori Harvey, who's like so sexy and an amazing woman who has so many hot boyfriends. 
And now they've split up and she's split up with her most recent boyfriend too. Who's that? Michael B. Jordan could be really good for Cardi B. Look at all these eligible bachelors. Pedro Pascal. See, these are actors. I just, I'm sorry for actors because I'm sure a lot of them are really good people. Andrew Garfield also on the list. But I mean, like, I don't, I would never recommend anyone date an actor. I wouldn't. And I'm so sorry for that. And I I make a lot of generalizations that hurt people's feelings and I don't mean to, but I just feel it's too risky to date someone who, without a script, doesn't really know who to be. You know, an actor man is a bit too much of a blank canvas for me. And then also they play love interests. I think they fall in love on set a lot. I feel like this is the last thing that Cardi B needs. I don't even know a lot of these single guys. I think Harry Styles, Shawn Mendes, potential for Cardi B, (laughs) and my personal favorite, Prince Harry, could be the new flings for Cardi B. And then once she's done with them, she and Michael B. Jordan can have a wonderful life together. Although, is he an actor? I don't even know what he does besides, like, is a hunk. (sighs) Lastly, before we get to the emails and the questions, Ozempic is huge in Hollywood. We all know that. We've seen celebrities shrinking and shrinking, and nobody really admits to being on Ozempic. There are some huge names that we've seen make massive transformations, and like, just as though it is not my business to pontificate about anyone's sexual orientation, gender status, I also think it's rude to talk about people's weight. It's 2024 nearly. We are not here to body shame anyone, but Oprah recently has come out, I think very refreshingly, and been like, Yeah, I'm happy that there is a drug that is tested and available to help me manage my weight. I've struggled with it publicly all of my professional life. I feel better this way. I think that people should be transparent about Ozempic. I don't think there's anything wrong with it. Ozempic is also known as Wegovy. Well, like that's another brand of the same semi-glutide drug that has seen a lot of celebrities losing weight. I don't think it's as popular in the UK, but certainly I know a lot of people who are on it over here too. And I spoke about it in another podcast, spoke about the side effects and how funny it is that there are loads of people who resisted the COVID vaccine, uh, but they didn't resist Ozempic. They were like, yeah, but I'll pay 800 pounds to take that if it'll make me thin and give me thyroid cancer, maybe, but that's not a big deal for me. I think that if they had marketed the COVID vaccine as something that would make people lose weight, people would have been queuing around the block. Forget like incentives and NHS warnings and keeping your community safe. No one's interested in that. People ultimately are very vain. And even though we live in a body positive society, people want to be thin. They do. And as someone who, without any drugs, has gone from gaining loads of weight in one pregnancy, losing some of it, but then getting pregnant right again, and then losing it again. And then I got fatter somehow after I gave birth to Fena because I was home a lot, close to the fridge, breastfeeding. Like, it is a shame, but I can tell you now, looking back on the last two and a half years from experience, the world responds to me a lot more favorably when I am thin. People tell me I look great when I am thin. Uh, I feel more confident in photo shoots when I am thin. I enjoy being thin. I like fitting into my old clothes again. And because Ozempic is so ubiquitous now, I get in my DMs all the time, how are you doing it? How did you do it? Are you using Wigovi? Are you losing? It's like, well, I just didn't get pregnant this year. That's how I've done it. And I'm breastfeeding and I'm working a lot. 
and I don't eat bread that often. Though I do dabble in a gluten-free sandwich now and again. But my heart goes out to people who are like managing fluctuations of weight or they're being told like, you can be any size now. We live in a body positive. That's true with a lot of the world, but unfortunately it takes time for people to catch up. And a lot of the world will still reserve a special type of vitriol for obesity. People were mean to me about being fat when I was fat. They were. I've seen both sides of it now. And people have commented on my looks a lot in my life about like plastic surgery or lip injections or Botox or blah, 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 blah. And it was never as personally cutting, as maligned as when it was about weight. You're fat. You got fat. Like that was the thing that it really crystallized to me. Like, yeah. There's still mean, meanness, unkindness in this world, especially reserved for people who are over, you know, whatever their BMI recommendation is, whatever. And so I get why celebrities are doing this. I get it. Because in their industry, it's all that much worse. So what do you think? Are you on Oprah's side? Do you feel like, hey, good for her. She's using it. She wants to use it. She's, what, 60 years old. She could do what she wants, and she is transparent about it, open about it? Or do you feel like celebrities have any responsibility to disclose what medication they're taking or what surgery they've had? Because the Kardashians obviously work out a lot, but they also have an entire like emergency room of medical professionals invested in what they look like, in some, whether that's like... BBLs or liposuction or breast lifts or facelifts or Ozempic or I don't know what's going on, but it's not all holistic, natural, making the Kardashians look like that. Should they be transparent about why they look the way they do? Should magazines and models and photographers be transparent about the amount of editing that goes into the photos? And should people like Oprah, do they have a responsibility to do exactly what she's done and come out and said, don't feel bad about yourself. I am medicated. What do you think? Let me know. You can write me an email about anything, anytime. Telling everybody everything at gmail.com. Let's listen to some words from our sponsors now. I'm just trying to get an Ozempic sponsorship, just blatantly. And then when we return, I will see what lovely letters you wrote to me last week. So, you've got an idea for a business, the store of your dreams. There's just one thing to figure out, everything. That's why Shopify's all-in-one commerce platform makes it easy to sell online, in person, and everywhere else. Sell on social media, source products with an app to get that first sale feeling. It's the only solution that gives you everything you need to sell everywhere you want. So when you're ready to bring your idea to life, power it up with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash listen. Last week, I spoke about the controversy that has been rehashed between Taylor Swift and Kim Kardashian and Kanye West because Taylor spoke about it in the Time article accompanying her award of Woman of the Year, Person of the Year. And rightfully, a lot of you pulled me up on my unwavering support for the Kardashians and my blindness to like, if they do anything wrong, I kind of have to look past it. And um, this is one letter that sums up 
kind of a lot of the letters that I received from you. Catherine, when it comes to the Kardashians, you are constantly making excuses. You want to justify Kim's actions in this Kim Kanye Taylor incident by making the excuse that she was defending her man? Well, she was. 10 years ago, did Kim clear the air and post on Instagram or say anywhere that the recording of Taylor was edited and presented a false picture? No. Famous was released in 2016. Kim was 36 years old. You hold your listeners who write in to a much higher standard than you hold Kim Kardashian to. I agree with 99% of the advice you offer, but when it comes to the Kardashians, you constantly miss the mark. You have a real blind spot, Catherine. I like them well enough. I'm no Kardashian hater, but please see through it. All right. Yes, it was mean, but I think both things can be true at the same time. I think that Kim could have come out and defended Taylor, but we don't know really the... I don't think that defending your man is always the right thing to do. I'm not saying she was correct in defending Kanye, but I do appreciate how in a relationship, especially with someone like Kanye, you get swept up in the loyalty and who knows what was said. And there's business attachments and entanglements with it too. I think Kim was definitely wrong, though I still like her. I think that hopefully, I mean, I'm on Kris Jenner's side. I think an old video came out where Chris was like, have you had a conversation with Taylor? I like Taylor. I like her mom. I like everything. I think that very soon, before the end of the year, we will see a Christmas miracle of Kim apologizing, Kim and Taylor burying the hatchet, because the Kardashians have yet to respond to Taylor calling Kim trash. The trash will always take itself out in this article. But you're right. And I, you know, thank you to everyone who holds me to account, because I am wrong sometimes. I definitely am. And I love the Kardashians and I have a blind spot for them. All right. New letters. Catherine, I started seeing a guy recently. He seems to have everything together. He's 10 years older. He has children. It was a nice change for me because I've been dating people my own age for most of my life and they seem to be incredibly immature. So he's 30 and she's 20. Yes. I always think it's a bit weird when any adult is dating like a teenager and only last year you were a teenager. I know that there are age gaps and that's fine. Last week I talked about Brad Pitt dating Inez de Ramo and she's 30 and he's almost 60 and that's like a half his age, but at least she's 30. You know what I mean? I'm fine with it actually because she's a 30 year old woman. I think it gets into dodgy territory when this man is like, he's got kids and you were a kid. You were legally a kid like four years ago. So that's tough for me. And of course, guys your age are immature. But here's what you don't know. So are you. You're more mature than they are, but you're still, you be, look, you, when you're 30, you're going to look back at your 20-year-old self and be like, oh, I was a baby. All right. This man has been really attentive, wanting to see me all the time. Love bombing you, maybe. He just really seemed to have his shit together. We've only been dating for a few weeks, but I felt it was going really well, and I felt quite hopeful and excited. However, Last night, he revealed to me that he is a conspiracy theorist. He likes Donald Trump. He doesn't believe in evolution. He doesn't trust science and vaccinations. He doesn't believe in the moon landing. <laughs> Are you dating my husband? He's religious, which is obviously fine, except he seems to follow the strand of Christianity, Christianity that doesn't believe the earth is more than a few thousand years old. He questions the existence of dinosaurs. He doesn't believe satellites exist, despite the fact that you can actually see them with the naked eye on a clear night. 
And I'm like, oh, fuck, what do I do now? What would TV Kath- TV's Catherine Ryan do? I have no desire to sit in an echo chamber and be with someone who agrees with everything I say. I think this stagnates progression in general and in many cases often promotes reductive thinking. But surely I can't continue to date somebody who has this completely different worldview. Should also, I should also mention that I am an atheist. I'm extremely uncomfortable with dogmatic views of any kind and I'm interested and compelled by scientific research and discovery and laws of nature. I also have had a few dates recently and the men expressed similar paranoid views. Oh, I should mention I'm in the UK, not the US. What's happening with the men in London? I love to hear your thoughts. Oh my God, here's what's happening to men in London and like abroad and everywhere. I feel like a lot of them are quite conspiracy theorists now. And I land somewhere in the middle. I'll be dead honest with you. I think that governments conceivably could fake a moon landing. Of course they could to like beat Russia and get investment. Like, I don't know, but um, governments can fake anything they want. I understand why people feel that the vaccinations are a scam and that COVID is a hoax. I understand why people come to these conclusions and I understand why they've lost faith in science because science is delivered through channels that could could negate some science and just show you what it wants. Also, funding goes into certain studies and not other studies, which is why like women's health exists, but there isn't a lot of science or research associated with it because someone's not paying to facilitate that research. Do you know what I mean? So it is messy and bad people profited from lockdowns and vaccinations. And I I read somewhere that Bill Gates now owns more farmland than anyone else in the whole world, but he like doesn't eat meat. I don't know. Listen, what happens to these men is they listen to podcasts, not my podcast. They listen to Joe Rogan's podcast where he introduced a lot of outside ideas and they listen to Andrew Tate maybe. And a lot of these have have the type of themes that you're talking about. And th- this guy that you're dating, he's not the only one. You've said you've dated a lot of guys who have these outside the box theories. I feel like the personality trait that they have in common is that they all kind of think they're a little bit better than everyone else. They all think that they know something that everyone doesn't know. And then they're brought in by these podcasts that feed this assumption that go, they're not telling you this, but I'll tell you. And I think that that is the government's fault. Like when you've lost the trust of your constituency, they go looking for the truth elsewhere and they go looking for someone else to trust. And so these places and these theories exist to draw in those people who've been lost, who go, you need an answer? I have the answer. And maybe that's religion or maybe it's just like conspiracy theorists about the moon or, or dinosaurs or whatever. This guy sounds like he's, he's really gone all in. Yes, you have to break up with him. Yes, you have to break up with him because this, oh, find his ex-wife and find out why he has kids and he's single, number one. And number two, speaking of these kids, this man's anti-abortion. This man is staunchly anti-abortion. And you, God forbid, could find yourself in a situation down the road with him one day where you need urgent medical care and he will let you die of sepsis. That's the kind of man that he is. Sorry to take it to that extreme, but you, can't, you cannot be with a man like this. 
because what goes hand in hand with like, I'm super religious. I don't believe in dinosaurs. I don't believe in science. I don't believe in space. Uh, I mean, I almost don't believe in space, but he will never prioritize your health. Mm, You can find someone with more similar views to you that isn't like a total psycho. Do you know what I mean? It's not like you're, it's not one or the other. It's not live in an echo chamber or date a man who doesn't believe in dinosaurs. Like there are loads of men in between. I just recently brought up a, Michael B. Jordan is single. There are a lot, Milo Ventimiglia is signal. He's from Gilmore Girls. Um, Taylor Zakhar Perez, he looks sexy. Ooh, he's six foot one. He's the lead in the Amazon original Red, White, and Royal Blue. He's 30. Will Poulter. Oh, he's great, Will Poulter. I worked with him once. He's in um, Black Mirror and he's in a bunch of other things like films. But again, these actors, these are all actors. Trevor Noah's single? I didn't realize that. John Boyega. Oh my gosh, an actor, but really hot. Look, there are way more available single guys who believe in dinosaurs than you would think. And, and I don't know what it is about you that you are finding these conspiracy theorists, guys. But I think question one on a first date is like, oh, do you listen to any podcasts? What podcast do you listen to? Just get that out of the way. Because I don't think Joe Rogan's a bad guy. I enjoy his podcast once in a while, but it is a slippery slope. <laughs> um, it's a slippery slope. Be vigilant out there. Here's another. Catherine, I've been with my man for three years. It is a dreamy, secure relationship where he really supports me. In that time, a pandemic has happened, and I'm the fattest I've ever been. I consume a lot of media, like maintenance phase and go love yourself, and I try to receive messages that my body is okay. I make space to unpick the negativity I have about this. Though the socialization I've received my whole life means I do want to lose weight when I stop and think about it. I get it. I have panic attacks quite often after sex. So much fun to have a lovely time, then roll over and freak out and panic. We were talking about these panic attacks again on the sofa. I think there are lots of factors to this. I've had therapy to support me in the past, but they persist. I said, I wonder if it's linked to me feeling like my partner wishes I was thinner. My partner agreed. This is how he feels. I want him to be honest with me, but that really hurt to hear. It affirmed what I have quietly felt for a little while. I feel so disconnected with him since this conversation. Any tips on how to own my body and move past this difficult conversation? What? Another note, not podcast related, but my mother-in-law has dementia. She finds you dressed in a Christmas pudding outfit on that advert. Hilarious every time it comes on. Well, thank you. And you know what I am in that Christmas pudding outfit? Round and jolly. And that is why your mother-in-law loves it. Mother-in-law. So you are married to this man? And he said he does wish that you were thinner? The hell is wrong? (sighs) Me... He agreed that's kind of how he feels. I mean, you wanted him to be honest with you, but that really hurt to hear. I'm worried that you pushed him to say this. I don't want to like blame you, but you're on the sofa and you're saying, I have panic attacks, I feel bad about my body. And you've been saying this for a while. You're like, I've gained weight. I've tried to consume media, but the message is I want to lose weight. And I have to agree, I do want to lose weight. And now you're having panic attacks and you're sitting and confronting your partner on the sofa and being like, don't you, don't you, you wish I was thinner too, don't you say it. And he was like, "Uh," and you're like, I want you to be honest with me. He was like, yeah, okay. Like I just, I really don't think that a man who loves you really cares that much. I think he, I don't know him. I'm just reading your email, but I'm worried that 
he's just saying what he thinks you want to hear and he's echoing what you're saying because he's like, yeah, uh, I agree, I don't know. Look, Oprah lost a lot of weight on Ozempic and it's not good to say, I think Ozempic makes you feel really sick, but it does work for a lot of people. If you are at a point, and this is why I think we can't be judgmental about this drug. I don't want to give anyone an eating disorder or make you feel uncomfortable in your own skin, but you have said here, like I'm thinking, I'm not a doctor and I'm not a therapist, but if my patient came in and said like, I'm the biggest I've ever been, when I stop and think about it, I do want to lose weight and now I'm having panic attacks and you get therapy, but it's not helping, I might take a very controversial stance and go, all right, well, let's look at what's happening here. Will this weight loss drug temporarily help take the edge off a place in your body that isn't really natural for you? It happened over the pandemic. You put on an unnatural amount of weight for you. You're not happy about it. You're having actual panic attacks. It's impacting your mental health and your marriage. Like, do can we be so judgmental about Ozempic when the alternative is a mental health crisis? It's like being thin should not be that important to you. No, it shouldn't. But I get what you're saying. Like, I didn't feel great about myself when I had extra weight either. And I feel better about myself now that I'm my, I'm not thinner than I was. I'm just back to what I was. What can help you do that? I don't know. I'm so sorry that you feel this way. And you absolutely should continue to consume the media that says that this is a season. You know, this is a season of your body. You do need to love yourself. That is ultimately most important because what you don't want to do is lose weight, you know, in a different way, like a con- conventional way, like exercise and eating differently and managing all of that. Like, and then you still have panic attacks and you don't feel good about yourself because it really is true that beauty comes from within and you have to love yourself in your own body. I'm so sorry that you're feeling this way. Maybe bring up some of these medicines with your professional. And I know I'm going to get so much shit for saying this to you because my advice would never be like lose weight and this problem will go away. But in your case, I just, it breaks my heart that you feel so bad. And I, I worry that your partner just loves you no matter what. And if, if your partner genuinely sat there and said to you, yeah, I'd be happy if you were thinner and be like, well, I know a great way that you can lose 12 stone like that. And it is by being single like Cardi B. Oh, grrr, goodbye. You want me to be thinner, you're out the door, and all of a sudden, a huge weight of a man has been lifted off my shoulders. Write me back. He better not have talked to you like that. Catherine, I know you get a lot of questions about relationships. That's because even though I prioritize career and your relationship with yourself and your family and your girlfriends and your kids, romantic relationships do still matter a lot to us. I can't deny that because it is what I get the most emails about, so it's fine. Don't apologize. I have one for you about friendship. Oh, this is not. (laughs) My life's messy to say the least. I'm friends with my ex-boyfriend's friends. Mm. Some of them have been great and others, well. I'm a second year at university. One of the girls I've been friends with since the start, but she has a habit of randomly distancing herself from me. She's become close with another girl who I was friends with for a grand total of a month this year. Both have started ignoring me. Coincidentally, they also follow my ex's new girl on Instagram. I was worried this was going to happen. 
I'm hurt and confused as I really value female friendships, but the only friends I have here are male. As lovely as they are, they just don't get it. I've never been treated this way by girls before, and it hurts just as much as a breakup. Please give me any advice you have. Well, it, it disturbs me that you're only friends with boys because you do need female friendships, but maybe the place to find them isn't the gal pals of your ex-partner. Do you know what I mean? Because this is an eventuality that he's going to move on and they're going to be in spaces with his new girlfriend. And that new girlfriend might not always be okay with the ex-girlfriend hanging around. It's a shame. I think I would hopefully be fine with it. A lot of people will be fine with it. But if this girl somehow feels disrespected or like uncomfortable having you around or, or threatened by the fact that these are her new girlfriends and they're friends with you, there's really nothing that you can do. I'm so sorry about that. Like maybe you could reach out and chat to these girls and be like, hey, I've noticed a distance from you sometimes. Is it a problem that so-and-so has a new girlfriend and I'm, you know, in the mix. Would you, does it make her uncomfortable? Like, is there anything that I can do to still be friends? Because I sort of thought that we had a really good friendship going independent of my old relationship and I don't want to make anybody feel pressured or feel like they're going behind someone's back to be friends with me. Like, what's going on? I think that you're young though. Like, year two of university, girls are still quite girls. It is a shame Look at Kim Kardashian. She's 36 and still not behaving correctly with Taylor Swift in 2016. Yeah, I'm sorry. There will be the right girlfriends out there for you. I think they might just, it might be good to meet them independently somewhere else. Like if you go to a space, well, you meet girls in your classes who aren't related in any way to an ex or go to like one of these fun yoga classes or like an arts class or rock climbing thing like you there are loads of places at your age to still meet people and I agree it's hard to meet people as an adult I even think that um tinder has a thing for friends they do because Jen and I went to Wimbledon one year and we were invited by the friendship arm of tinder oh no it was bumble wasn't it Ooh, let's just check because I don't want to say the wrong thing Bumble friendship? Bumble friends. Find friends with Bumble. Yeah, it's Bumble. You can find friends on there. And it doesn't always have to be romantic. And I'm sure that in a university setting, there are lots of people. There are friends for every era, even your messy ones. There you go. You said you were messy. Bumble for Friends is about exactly that, friends. Whether you move to a new city, found a new hobby, or just want a new person to talk to, Bumble for Friends is about finding your kind of people. There you go. This is what you need. Sorry for calling it Tinder a moment ago. Someone to gas me up, someone to rant to, someone to text 24-7. Like, there are lots of different things you can find. Isn't technology a wonderful place? All right. Catherine. I have a six-year-old daughter who is my everything. I have the loveliest husband who I met at sixth form, and we've been together for half our lives. But I hate myself? Whoa, that was a left turn. I've never been comfortable in my own skin. I have the worst anxiety all the time. I feel like I'm failing and letting people down, whatever I do, and I don't know what to do. My husband would love another baby. Oh, my God. See, I glanced my eyes across this, and I saw at first my husband would love another baby. And then I tried to be like, oh my gosh, yeah. I, I was thinking when I read that email, I think I'm going to feel like, have another baby. It's always great to have another baby, even if it's the wrong thing. 
that baby comes along and you really love that baby. So you don't realize it's the wrong thing. And it's always a win because you come to the end of your life and you have two kids instead of one and it's great. But I feel really attacked by the words of like, I'm struggling. I hate myself. I have anxiety. I'm not comfortable. My husband wants another baby. Like what? Where is his caretaking for you? The vessel of these children. Like what another baby 100% needs is a stable, loved, and nurtured, and comfortable in her own skin mother. So why is your husband not prioritizing that? Why is your husband trying to take from you? Because even with the best relationships, having a baby is taxing, more taxing on one person than the other for sure, physically, emotionally, mentally, whatever. My husband would love another baby, but I'm worried about postnatal depression like last time. I got to a point with my daughter when she was born where I sat on a train and I thought, hey, throw yourself off it. Everyone would be better off. I told my husband about this as I was scared by the weight of the feelings. And it is better now, but what if it comes back? I'm scared of ruining my daughter's life as she's happy just being us three. And after such a rough start with it, we're so close now. So what if my mental health takes a hit? You have three children and an amazing career and you seem to have it all together. Do you have any advice at all? Have a lovely Christmas. I don't have it all together and I should because I am rich and I have a stay-at-home husband and I have a nanny and I still don't have it all together at all. I have guilt about everything. My career doesn't get enough attention. My kids don't get enough of my attention and I don't think my husband gets the right attention from me either. And then I have a teenager who's up in her room not actively asking for my attention so she gets even less of it but I know that she secretly needs me in some way. And I haven't slept in two and a half years. Like I, if I don't have it together at all, I don't understand how just like a regular working mom can. And I never struggled with mental health ever. So the fact that you are still thinking about other people, like what is wrong with women? (laughs) That we are so selfless that you're like, oh, just sorry to bother you. Like just just a small aside is I hate myself and I've thought about throwing myself off a train before, but... How can I give everyone around me what they need? You can only show up for them by showing up for yourself first and by being the best person that you can be. And you really need to take time out and mentally prioritize your own well-being. And you need to sit your husband down first and foremost and go, you know that you nearly lost me when our baby was young. And I don't know that you're giving that the attention that it needs. And Asking me for another baby is quite scary and quite triggering because I've done a lot of work to get over that terrible, dark time in my life and I'm really scared of being back there again. And I think that having another baby could threaten my life and could potentially take my daughter's mother from her and take your wife from you. How do you feel about that? What do we do next? Like, I think you're in a crisis situation where you don't owe anybody anything If you, on your own accord, when you feel better, decide to have another baby, that's fine. And it's not going to be a betrayal to your daughter. Your daughter will just have a sibling. It'll be great. Everybody finds a new way of juggling it all. But right now, if you're telling me you hate yourself, then that needs to be your number one concern, fixing that. Because you don't want to raise a daughter with like navigating, trying to always look after her mother who hates herself, you know? The world would absolutely not be better off without you. Your daughter would really 
struggle with that for the rest of her life badly. Like I, I know lots of people who've lost their parents young and lots of people, unfortunately, who've lost their parents to mental health problems young. And uh, it's a really tough thing forever. So get that right out of your mind no matter what. The world would be a lot worse for the people that you love if you weren't in it. And you need to call Good Samaritans and chat to them right away or try to find access to mental health care um, and write people like me for free on the podcast. You know what I mean? Because I know how hard it is to access mental health care. But sit down with your husband or even like let him listen to this and be like, hi, if, if you were on fire, he would notice. And he would go, oh my God, she could die from this fire. I need to put this fire out. Well, that's what's happening inside. And he needs to really prioritize that and love you and be there for you and see what he can take off your plate. Because it's not like a contest. It's, it's not like, well, my wife's doing this much and I should do that much. It's like, no, no, no. My wife's in a mental health crisis where she hates herself. So I'm going to, in sickness and health, love her as much as I can and take on as much as I can and help her navigate this because that is what partners do in a marriage. Let me know how you feel next week. And you can always write me. If I don't answer, Joanne usually will. Okay. Catherine, my husband and I have a four-month-old. I was never sure if I wanted kids until I met him and instantly I knew he would be the best dad. He felt similar and within three years we moved in, got engaged, got married, had a miscarriage and had a baby. So it's been a whirlwind of up and downs. Some background, we were both in abusive relationships previously, controlling ex-spouses, not physical abuse. Also, we both have neurodiverse conditions, one of us ADHD, the other autism. A combination means we've both struggled with our mental health, we've both been on medication for a few years. This is a fact neither of us are, neither of us are ashamed of. Anyway, since our baby was born, he has fallen into another bout of depression. The doctor has been good in providing him a referral and upping his medication, but he said that postnatal depression in men is rare. <gasps> postnatal depression in men. Ladies, it's not true. One in 10 men get postnatal depression. That's not rare. In fact, one in 10 chance is defined as very common in terms of medicinal side effects. The combination of previous mental health problems, which by the way is significantly more common in people with neurodiverse conditions, and prior abusive relationships, he was almost bound to be affected by the arrival of our gorgeous baby. Since the baby was born, and in fact while I was pregnant, I've been asked over and over and over about my mental health. How do I feel? How am I coping? What's my relationship like with my husband? What's my relationship like with my baby? What's my support system? So on. That's so true. It's really weird as soon as you get pregnant, and you, you understand why it's in place, but the midwife calls you and she goes, are you okay? Are you safe? Are you all right? Is anybody hurting you? And I was like, what? And that's a great system to have in place, but it was so jarring to realize like that women become a lot more vulnerable when they're pregnant and a lot of women need to be asked those questions. But I suppose I'm, I hadn't thought about asking men. Not once has my husband been asked how he felt or about his mood throughout this time. It's been a huge adjustment for us both. I hate, hate, hate the fact that we as a society are ignoring men's mental health still, particularly when it comes to postnatal depression. I'm not asking for help and advice, but I do think it's important to recognize and talk about postnatal depression in men and warn your listeners of the signs to look out for and help if they need it. What are the signs? As a feminist especially, I think raising awareness of this is super important. Equality goes both ways, and we need to support the mental health of the men in our lives. Listen... I joke about men. 
I've always done it. I talk about men. I feel like loads of men come to see me on tour. I have a son. I'm married to a man. He gets it. But there are lots of men who don't get it. And they're like, what do you mean, Catherine? Why are you saying all men? Da 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 da. Look, I always think the funniest position to take in comedy is an extreme one. I don't think it's funny to go, well, sometimes and maybe a little bit if. No, I always go extreme and then I peel it back from there. And most people can see that there's always a nugget of truth in what I'm saying and decorating it with like wild ideas and jokes. But ultimately, men's mental health is a priority of mine. I think society definitely has not addressed the men's health epidemic in this country. Men's, but I didn't know about men's postnatal depression. Postnatal depression in dads and co-parents. 10 things that you should know. It's understandable that we focus on moms, but let's not forget the dads and co-parents. Whether it's sleep deprivation, money worries, new responsibilities, or relationship dynamics shifting, dads have a lot to take on board. Jesus. It often goes undiagnosed. The peak time in men is three to six months after the birth. Hormonal changes may play a role. Just as with moms, changes in hormones might make postnatal depression in dads more likely. Hormones including testosterone, testosterone, estrogen, cortisol, vasopressin, and prolactin may change in dads in the periods after their babies arrive. It's more likely if the mom has depression too. My God. Dads who are under 25 are more likely to experience postnatal depression. Age isn't the only risk factor. Other major risk factors include a history of depression and anxiety, financial pressures, and no longer being in a relationship with the child's mother. Other factors, sleeping or crying issues with the baby, drug abuse or dependence, and feeling unsupported by their partners. However, the relationship between these factors is unclear, so they might not necessarily be the direct cause of mental health difficulties. Postnatal depression in dads and partners can show itself in different ways than in moms. Symptoms can include fear, confusion, oh my God, helplessness, uncertainty about the future, withdrawal from family life, work and social situations, indecisiveness, frustration, irritability, cynicism and anger, marital conflict, partner violence, negative parenting behaviors, alcohol and drug use, insomnia, physical symptoms like indigestion, changes in appetite and weight, Diarrhea, constipation, headaches, toothaches, nausea. Toothaches? I mean, wait a minute. Well, that's just putting everything on the list. Can we please narrow down lists so that they make sense to us and take something like toothaches off? I'm sorry, medical community. Like, you had me at fear, confusion, helplessness, frustration, irritability. Yes, yes, yes. Toothaches. No. All right. Those are the signs and symptoms of postnatal depression in dads. It's really interesting because, you know, Bobby especially lost his dad when he was young. And I think having kids definitely would have triggered something. And he's done really well with it. But certainly when Fred was young, he was fearful all the time, like like in a constant state of, I think a lot of parents feel that way. I'm like, oh my gosh, what if this happens? He'd have like night terrors about something bad happening to the baby. Or what if someone dropped the baby? Or what? And Fred was such a difficult baby too, cried all the time. I'm going to go in the house now and ask Bobby about this. Luckily, we haven't had any babies in the last three to six months. But thank you for highlighting this. It's so important. Guys, I joke. Of course, I love men and care about men too. I do. I do. I care about everyone's mental health equally, for sure. Thank you so much for your letters. Please write to me, telling everybody everything at gmail.com. I will be at the Netflix Is a Joke 
festival in May if you happen to be in LA. My book is always available. It's a lovely Christmas gift. It's called The Audacity. You can get it delivered next day on Amazon. You can get it as an audiobook. You can get it as a, um, you know, book that you can read on your phone, <laughs> Kindle and other places. You can download it. It's a lovely Christmas gift and it's uh, more of me just acting like this. And it's a little Christmas gift to me too. Do you know what you can do? The biggest Christmas gift is share clips of this podcast, share this podcast with your friends because I want to keep doing it. I'm trying to really revamp it in 2024. I have beautiful new artwork and I'm just so excited to be able to always have this open conversation with you. Please be well and I will see you next week. I'm not taking a break for Christmas because what's Christmas? It's just another day. Ho, ho, ho. See you soon. So, you've got an idea for a business, the store of your dreams. There's just one thing to figure out, everything. That's why Shopify's all-in-one commerce platform makes it easy to sell online, in person, and everywhere else. Sell on social media, source products with an app to get that first sale feeling. It's the only solution that gives you everything you need to sell everywhere you want. So when you're ready to bring your idea to life, power it up with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash listen. 